0: Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and your Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light. In your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Over the past few weeks, we at First Press have been making our way through a sermon series entitled Holy Curiosity, Conversations with the Divine. Back in December, my fellow clergy and I put this series together with the hopes of embracing this awkward threshold season between Advent and Lent. More than years past, we all felt the realness of this in between time, in between Jesus' birth and death, in between winter and spring, in between Delta and Omicron, in between what has been and what will be. And so with a posture of humility and curiosity, we chose it we chose to lean into the timelessness of tradition and seek after God's voice in Scripture, prayer silence, and conversation. For weeks now, we have engaged in holy conversation with God, with each other, and with our mission partners, from City Team to the Congo Initiative to 1951 Coffee Company and today, International Justice Mission. I don't know about all of you, but these conversations have blessed me more than I was expecting or even prepared for. To see firsthand the way God has been working in and through and amongst these faithful servants has confirmed for me just how relentless God is, how compassionate Jesus is, how active the Spirit is in our midst. Today's conversation and scripture is no exception. So hear now God's word for you today as it comes to us from the community and from scripture. A reading from 1 Corinthians, chapters 11 and 12. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot were to say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Friends, the word of the Lord. Well, it is our absolute pleasure and honor to have Jeff Hancock here, the Director of Ministry Partnerships at one of our uh, beloved mission partners that we've been supporting for over 20 years, International Justice Mission. So Jeff, thank you so much for being with us. As you know, we've been traveling around the world, having conversations with representatives from our mission partners. And so if you could just start out by telling us about IJM and the work that you all are doing right now, we would love to hear um, your story.
1: Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be with you all, and um, we have been so grateful for the long partnership uh, with First Pres. I know people often say this, but I truly mean it when I say that we can't actually do the work that we're called to do without partners like you. You make this possible. Uh, So when we think of uh, International Justice Mission, and uh, a lot of folks uh, within First Pres may be uh, familiar, but just sort of the the snapshot of what we do is that IJM is stepping into um, communities that are experiencing uh, a really high level of poverty. And are also experiencing with that the vulnerability that comes from living outside the protection of a functioning justice system. So when we talk about that, we use the language of a justice gap. And uh, the studies will show us that about 5 billion people on earth live outside the protection of a functioning justice system. And what this means Mm. then is that these communities experience the presence of Just everyday violence. It is a reality, um, both everyday in the sense that it is happening every day, but also in the sense of sort of almost common violence. We're not talking about warfare here. That's a whole different kind of of violence. But these communities experience the violence of human trafficking, uh, the violence of uh, police abuse of power, um, the violence of of, uh, gender based violence or violence against women and children. Uh, And so Our role really at IJM is that what we try to do is to work with local partners uh, on the ground in these communities to not only bring rescue and restoration to victims of this violence, but we actually want to repair the systems that are allowing this violence in the first place. There's a a great quote by uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer that I've always loved where he says that we are not uh, we are not simply to bandage the wounds of the victims beneath the wheels of injustice, but we are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself.
0: We, we've been doing this sermon series on holy curiosity, being courageous and um, curious enough to look for God's presence in unexpected places. And, you know, a lot of the situations that you're talking about just are dire and sound hopeless and yet the work that you're doing day in and day out is to bring hope and healing repair restoration all of those things is is um is wow it's such a gift Um, So today we're talking about the interconnectedness of the community, the body of Christ in communion, but also in the church community. And so I feel like IJM really acknowledges that interconnectedness of society Mm -hmm. and how you all partner with local institutions. So can you just talk a little bit about how you see God at work through community and why that is the necessary vehicle um, for justice, the justice that you all are seeking?
1: Yeah, this notion of the interconnectedness of community, the importance of community for us. uh, The reality is, is that's just how we're made. Mm. Um, We are made to belong to one another. Um, And as we were talking even before uh, the call, you know, my my life prior to this was spent as a, uh, in the pastorate. And I was always struck by the, the, experience of communion, right? Of not only this sort of sense of connectedness to God and a remembrance, but it wasn't only a remembrance of what Jesus had done in this sort of distinct moment in time, but what he was continuing to do by sort of being lived out and fully revealed within community. And so I think on a very human level, we all need community. And when we don't have it, when we don't have sort of a healthy community in all of its definitions, we experience vulnerability. And I, I, I'm i starting there because I think that issue of vulnerability is the issue, right? And so I think all of us can think of things on a personal level where, maybe it was an unhealthy community with our, our family of origin and so that led to vulnerability within our own homes or in friend networks or in school or business and we can think of the vulnerability that that brings within these communities where we're working um, while there may be elements of that community that are incredibly healthy um, and certainly i can look at some of the places where we work and I can look and see healthy uh, friend networks and church networks in ways that I frankly haven't experienced very often, but there is um, a breakdown in the institutions of community in terms of the justice system, right? So if we think of the justice system as a, a thing that God actually set up, he set up sort of authority to help protect the vulnerable. And so what we find in these communities is a breakdown in the health of that system. Sometimes that is corruption, right? And so we can look and say, you know, in some of these places, and you you all were involved with us in Cambodia for years, I think. And uh in Cambodia was was an example where we are were working with the trafficking of young children in brothels and there were times when the security forces of those brothels, the guards, were off-duty police officers. And so there was a breakdown in the way that healthy community is supposed to function, which meant that the vulnerability of these young girls was exploited. So what IJM is trying to do then is to help bring a repair to those broken or unhealthy parts of the community so that that vulnerability isn't exploited but instead protected and so when we we talk about that then um on the one hand we don't want we don't seek a a sort of you know if we think of guatemala we're not looking for an american solution to a guatemalan issue we're looking to help build up strong and robust communities that protect their own people and lift up one another. You know, one of the things that we've really shifted towards thinking about is that for many years, the work of IJM really was centered on the one. And often, if you have been familiar with IJM over the years, you know the story of the one who was rescued and you see their story of rescue and restoration. But when we think now towards the next 10 years and we've talked and internally and and starting to share a lot about our 2030 vision and the idea is that we want to take what we've accomplished and what we've seen proven and actually scale this so that um we are really creating safe communities and and our goal really is that by the end of 2030 we want to we want to have brought protection to half a billion people and so um, that's a God-sized vision. There are times it makes me nervous, <laughs> and so, but mostly it just makes me so excited to think of, again, trying to bring repair to the system so that in Guatemala, women and, and children aren't victimized in the first place and to really change the narrative of what's possible in these communities.
2: One of the things that this church has focused on in its mission in the last... Ten years is what we call JPal, hmm. uh, justice, poverty, oppression as it affects women, yes. and so that's been. You're right; that's been a critical issue for us. So, think of your 2030 vision. Sure. And how? What will that look like in a Guatemalan community?
1: Certainly, I would love to see the complete end to all violence. Um, And let's all keep working on that until we don't have any breath left in us. However, in the meantime for those people who are still experiencing violence it looks like a few things so uh when we first went into guatemala if a child had been abused um, and it came to the moment where the person was actually arrested which didn't happen very often but let's say they did and it came to the moment where the child is asked to testify against their abuser um, it would often happen in this way that there was in in the big courtroom with an high elevated bench where the justices are sitting there was a small plastic chair sitting in the middle of the floor in front of this elevated bench in the full view of the full uh, attendees of the courtroom the abuser themselves all the lawyers and this young child was then asked to sit in this vulnerable spot and tell their story mm. so this is what changing the system to protect the vulnerable starts to look like for that young child is that now that child sits in this safe room where the only other person with them is a trained social care worker so that's one concrete example but it also looks like um uh networks of um really um, well-trained, well-resourced aftercare homes that are providing trauma-informed aftercare for victims so that there brings about a real restoration. Um, It looks like um, training within churches to equip churches to do a few things one to actually identify people who are experiencing this kind of violence and to equip them so that pastors and staff and leaders feel equipped enough to take what is always going to be a courageous step Mm -hmm. to actually move towards these victims of violence and to step into these places rather than to keep turning a blind eye and saying it's a family thing to um Also, though, to help churches become a place of safety so that people who have experienced this kind of violence understand that far from somehow disqualifying them from real community, this is that their story matters. Their story has incredible value. And so Mm -hmm. in many ways, everything that you think of as Uh, a lever of power within communities, governmental forces, aftercare, social care, churches, media, leveraging those to protect vulnerable women and children.
2: Mm -hmm. Wow. Great. So one more question. What is the role of prayer in the, in the broad ministry of IJM?
1: Well, um, so, we're a christian organization so you have to say prayer is important right it's the part of the you know you look on any all the churches that i led as a pastor that was always there i'll tell you this that i've never been in an organization that prays as much as ijm which includes the churches i was a pastor of so that may say something about me but um i i for an ijm employee for all ijm employees around the world our day begins before we sort of start work begins with 30 minutes of solitude. We're really challenged to take quiet. Now, what that looks like from employee to employee, that's great. It doesn't matter. But the the challenge really is to remind ourselves of what's ahead, to remind ourselves of the mission, to remind ourselves that this isn't just our vision we're talking about. This is the vision of God for people because Every single person, man, woman, and child is created in the image of God and deserves all that we think that means and all that we hope for, for our most beloved, every person deserves. And so sort of being reminded of the grandness of that mission. Mm -hmm. I think that role of prayer for us internally is simply this, that we can't do the work if it's only a human vision driving it, because there is a built-in limit to that there's a built-in limit to human strength when we're praying to go back to the community idea we are drawing together and we are drawing together with each other and with god and i think being renewed in that
2: well thank you very much jeff it's so nice to see you and uh hear uh personally from you about ijm um you've been an important part of our mission um we're thankful that we can be part of yours and God's blessing on you and your work and all of the field staff on their work as well.
1: Well, thank you. It's so Mm -hmm. great to be with you virtually. And I look forward to being with you in person sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Amen. Amen. So last weekend I did something that I haven't done in a really long time. I traveled by myself. I went to the airport, I got on a plane, and I flew to Dallas, Texas, where I served as a guest preacher at the First Presbyterian Church of Dallas. The whole experience was foreign and yet familiar, something I've done countless times before, but not once since the pandemic hit. And yet, oddly enough, the invitation, the occasion, was a product, an outcome of this strange time that we are in. Two congregations, 1,500 miles apart, with no previous relationship or connection, no reason to be in community together, now gathering regularly online to talk about the stuff of life and the stuff of faith. So there I was on the plane with my highest filtration mask covering my face, extra hand sanitizer and Lysol wipes in my bag, anxiety coursing through my veins, when I realized just how out of practice I was at being out in the world. Old insecurities and fears just flooded my senses. Do I remember how to preach to an outside community? Do I know how to be a good friend and a colleague in person, and not just on Zoom? Will I always be this worried, this afraid, this unsure about being with people in person? In the time span of my four-hour plane ride, I took a lot of deep breaths, watched a lot of TV, and slowly but surely found my footing in this foreign yet familiar terrain. And guess what? I survived. As it turns out, my voice also works in Dallas, Texas. I know how to have a conversation with a friend face to face. And more importantly, I remember that the world with all of its risks and dangers, unknowns and uncertainties is a beautiful place to be. It was good to be with our siblings in Dallas and it is good to be back home. On Sunday, as I was getting ready to preach, I did something I do no matter what city or state I'm in. I grabbed my phone and I began scrolling through my newsfeed. Mere minutes before I stepped into the physical and virtual pulpit, my eyes caught a headline that stopped me dead in my tracks. Why churches should drop their online services. In the article, Anglican priest Tish Harrison Warren recalls how back in March of 2020, her church, along with communities of faith around the world, moved to worshiping and gathering online. And like First Press, they did this in a valiant effort to protect the vulnerable, honor those on the front lines, and to continue to offer sacred worship to a world in need of a good and a holy word. But after nearly two years of migrating entire communities from in-person to online, Warren called on churches to do the one thing that has become the new unthinkable, the new unimaginable, and it's this. To stop meeting online. To stop gathering virtually. And to return to being together in person. She writes, For all of us, even those who aren't churchgoers, bodies with all the risk, danger, limits, mortality, and vulnerability that they bring are part of our deepest humanity, not obstacles to be transcended through digitization. They are humble and humbling gifts to be embraced, and in worship we seek to worship holy with heart, soul, Mind and strength. An embodiment is an irreducible part of that wholeness. Now, before I go on, I want to be clear that this is not a sermon about the merits or drawbacks of live streaming. This is not a sermon about COVID safety parameters. This is not a sermon about how and when we will reopen as a church. While I agree with much of this article, I do not agree with all of it. Every step of the way, this church, guided by our amazing COVID task force members, elders and staff, has faithfully navigated how to shelter in place, then move to live streaming, and then move back to being together in person again. Every step of the way, this church has sought to honor each other and God with every hard decision that was made. I owe all the people that have been a part of making and executing these decisions my deepest gratitude and appreciation. We all do. So no. This is not a sermon about how to honor our individual bodies. This sermon is about how to honor the body of Christ and how to find God, how to find each other, how to find ourselves in that body. As we see in the gospel accounts and in our scripture for the day, Jesus knew, Jesus knows, that we are a people prone to wander, prone to forget, to doubt, to be afraid. And in that knowledge, he blessed us with a sacred ritual of remembrance, a tradition we have come to know as the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Every month we gather around table just like Jesus did with his disciples to break bread and drink cup and in doing so to be reminded to be assured to be convinced of the depth of Jesus's love for us. A love so great that it cost him his life. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And every month, when we remember and reflect on that selfless and sacrificial love, we are fed, nourished, and sustained, yes. But we are also challenged, convicted, and confronted with the fact that we, too, are flesh and blood. We, too, are broken and bleeding. We, too, are human which means we need the body of Christ made known to us at the table. We need the body of Christ made known to us in the church. If being distanced for the past two years has revealed anything to us, it is that sacred community is not an idea or a concept or a geographic grouping of like-minded people. It is not always ideal or a comfortable or harmonious, and it is definitely not always easy or fun or safe. As 1 Corinthians 12 shows us, the body of Christ is messy and disparate, disjointed and clunky, an eye wishing it could be an ear, an ear angry that everyone else doesn't hear as well as him or her, a foot trying to grasp something, a hand trying to run, It is you, it is him, it is her, it is me, it is us, it is them, it is we. Three-dimensional beings with three-dimensional hungers, confessing three-dimensional sins and proclaiming a three-dimensional God. That is where I firmly agree with my Anglican colleague. This one-dimensional existence we are living was not supposed to last forever. As convenient and comfortable and safe as virtual worship and distanced community may seem, the truth of the matter is this. One-dimensional gatherings lead to one-dimensional communities. A people who only see their fellow human being as flattened viewpoints and opinions instead of complex stories and experiences. As it turns out, pandemic or otherwise, being the church has always been risky and dangerous. But the greater risk, the greater danger is not showing up at all. And so after a prolonged season of gathering virtually, trying to keep each other safe, I am afraid that we've gotten used to this way of life. I'm afraid that we have started to forget how much we need each other to survive. I know I have. But friends, the very body of our Lord Jesus Christ reminds us of the importance of being together. We need to sit next to each other on airplanes and in pews. We need to hear babies cry and children laugh. We need to break bread and pass it to our neighbor. We need to whisper prayer requests to each other in the hallways. We need to listen and learn from each other. We need to fight and make up. We need to hold hands, touch faces, wipe tears, hug one another. We need to suffer together and rejoice together. We need to be together for we are the body of Christ. And so after another month of worshiping from home, next week, the doors of our sanctuary will open once again. Yes, we will still be wearing our masks, but we will be together in this space. Now I can't and I won't guarantee that we won't ever enter into another season like this, a season where the good and Christian thing to do will be to meet virtually. I don't know what the future holds for us in that that regard. None of us do. But I do know this. I am certain of this. We were meant to be together. Inconvenienced, uncomfortable, disrupted and terrified together and in doing so we will taste and we will see the holy truth that god is indeed with us in this mess that jesus is alive in this time and in this place and that the spirit is doing and will continue to do a good work in us until christ comes again in all of his glory And all of God's people, no matter where you are, said amen.